Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a licensed nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach. I run Strength Guild. I'm also a lifter, powerlifting, highland games, stuff like that. So. All right, we have news, we have mail, and then after the break, we're going to talk about performance-enhancing drugs. I know that's a taboo topic a lot of times, and honestly, some of the, the back and forth, <laughs> you've been in the game for a while, it almost gets tiresome, but um, it, it keeps coming back up, so... We'll talk about that. Phil, actually, let's start with the, before I get to this listener mail, you said that there was, speaking of performance-enhancing meds. Strength and muscle sport news. There's a... Yeah. Um, Well, from what I hear, the IOC and WADA kind of came out, and with these recent pops, uh, more and more in in weightlifting. And the the bad thing is it always goes back to these, these retestings. Um, oh right, but but they gave the pretty much gave weightlifting its its last uh, warning, and if they can't get themselves straightened out for the 2020 games, then they are uh, 2000 uh, yeah 2020 that they are done. You know, mm. basically you got to get yourself straightened out, or you're no longer going to be in the games. Um, everybody, so that's right? kind of rough. Not just U.S. or Russia, but everybody. The sport. The sport. <laughs> yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah, because now they're starting to pop. From what I heard, they're they're starting to pop some U.S. lifters and stuff like that. So uh, it, it seems as what we all believed. <laughs> Nobody's freaking clean. So, <laughs> right. Uh, and I don't know. It's it's a slippery slope for me. I, I just do not agree with the retesting thing. I think they opened a can of worms that they didn't want to open. But what are you going to do now? You know, I mean, now you've done it, so. No, once they take an ethical stance, then they would be backpedaling. You can't test that sample of 50 lifters and then not test everybody again. You know, you have to, especially since you came out with it. You know, if you had tested that sample and be like, oh, man, this is bad and kept it quiet, yeah, maybe. But now it's a little late. You came out, so now you have to retest everybody over the last 12 years. You know, I was going to comment about strength and muscle sports. I mean, I remember back in the 80s and 90s, Ben Weeder and the whole Weeder empire, they were always, they had like pictures in Flex magazine of him meeting with Olympic officials. They kept trying to get bodybuilding in the Olympics. And I'm like, how is that going to work? Like, you know, professional level bodybuilding. I mean, people do not walk around at 250 pounds with 4% body fat that are natural, you know? Yeah. And I mean, so you might think, oh, maybe everybody would just be smaller, you know, somewhere between maybe a wrestler, you know, and a bodybuilder. I don't mean professional wrestler, you know what I mean, like that sort of yeah. um, just muscular, but sort of not necessarily that different from the audience kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. But um, that never really came to fruition. I don't see how this is going to. And before I start going off about physique people, after the break, we're going to talk about runners. Like you said, um, what do you? Uh, how do you say that? Um, everybody's freaking on. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's just it's just part of it's part of all sports right now. I mean, it really is. 
it's an interesting argument that I've heard from different journalists, actually, sports journalists, about why don't we just let people take performance-enhancing meds? I mean, At he this was just, point, I mean, just yeah. putting it out there. Like, I'm just going to put it out there. Like, let's explore what would happen if we allowed this, mm-hmm. you know. Anyway, yeah, the um, there's lots of other ethical issues that come into play t- here, too, as, as well. You know, there's lots of money and coercion and stuff, and... I hadn't heard that, though, about um, Olympic lifting. Like I said, to me, it, it almost sounds like it's going the way of bodybuilding in that, like, how do you really have superhuman performances in people who aren't enhanced? Um, yes. You know. So. And like we talked about before, nobody wants to see, you know, the, the clean and jerk record matched year after year after year or under it. They always want to see bigger, stronger, faster, and there are limits to the human body. And I'm sorry, training, <laughs> training philosophies and stuff aren't going to change that greatly. No, or nutrition, you know. You know. Yeah, yeah. So. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me toss a question at you here. This first one is a repeat question from Karen. She had said something in the other week, uh, and um, John Mike addressed it. But I want you to take a stab at this here too. Okay. Is, let me. The, the original question. I'll just summarize, which was. Her deadlifts had gone stale. She was one. She was dropping accessory work because she felt like she was just sort of burning out or spinning her wheels. And so she was basically asking about should she drop the accessory work? How frequent should she deadlift? And she was given some numbers. She, she's a strong lady. Uh, but here's the follow-up. So just do the best you can, okay? Because I know you have partial okay. info. Thanks okay. for addressing my question. Um, one of John's questions was, where are you weak? you know, off the floor, lockout, mm-hmm. et cetera. She said, I'm weak off the floor. If I can okay. get a lift up an inch, I can usually get it to pull the rest of the way. He also said, um, are you pulling traditional or sumo? She said, I've been pulling traditional. I used to do more sumo, but I, uh, I began to good morning the weight up, so I changed back to traditional. Um, I know this is a form issue, and ideally I need a trainer, but the only powerlifting gym uh, I know in the area is run by a guy who gave me endless grief for doing a USPA meet instead of USAPL. I don't need that kind of drama. Uh, I will do uh, some more YouTube searching on sumo form. And then she gives a link to the current program, which is sort of beyond the scope of this question right now. But uh, I used this program with some success going from 285 to 320 max over the last year or so. Um, so strong lady. Uh, but it's not cutting it anymore. The last two to three cycles have been trash, and I've been playing uh, around with it, but no go. Thanks so much for your time. I know you guys are busy, Karen. So um, she's weak off the floor. Like I said, she's having some difficulty. She's pulling traditional. Uh, feels stale, so maybe I just thought I could ask you about your thoughts on dropping accessory work if you're stale, or you know, frequency uh, for yeah. we'll say an intermediate to advanced woman. Yeah, number one thing I would just warn her against is that um, I don't know her body weight or anything, but you have to realize that at that big of a deadlift for most any female, you're reaching the end of those easy gains. So I'm just wondering, part of it might be that. Like, she's used to progressing quickly. Oh, And now right. you're pulling 300 pounds, and it's like, it's not going to come so fast. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to put, the amount of work you're going to have to put in per pound added to the bar is going to be greater as you get stronger. And it's only going to get worse from here out. So, you gotcha. know, you got to remember that part of the deal. It's not like you're going from 
185 to 225 anymore. That's a really good so, point. I mean, in the classroom, we just call that the principle of diminishing returns, right? Yeah. You can't you can't be at 99.2% of your genetic ability and expect to make 30% jumps. Yes. You know. So, you know, there's that. The other thing, um, no, I wouldn't drop accessory work. Um, if anything, you'd probably start gearing everything more towards your weakness, especially since you're weak off the floor. Now, yeah, it could be a form issue. I don't know what style of – I don't know how you're built. You know, how I have people pull, it's definitely uh, – it's wrapped around how they're anatomically built. Oh, like limb length so, and whatnot? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and my guess is she's just short-limbed lifter. Um, and most of the time they have weakness off the floor. Um, or she's a long-limb lifter lifting wrong for her body type so um but okay. deficit poles is what i'd go to i would drop your percentage some and start working from a deficit um and most of the time i have my people work from about a four inch deficit and then basically what we do we'll do a whole cycle there and then when we go back to the floor it feels like you're cheating because you're the floor you've been working off of is four inches below the ground mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so um that I would probably start working in some pause squats and things like that. Anything that builds your strength from a dead stop in that low position where your hips are in, you know, flexion and learning how to drive hard. Uh, Other than that, like I said, uh, a form issue. Like I'd need to see videos and stuff like that, see what's going on. Is she properly getting set up in a position that allows her to be strong off the floor, which is a very big mistake. Most people just don't know how to do. Um, And you'll get a long ways without doing that. (laughs) but then at some point you need to learn how to you know wedge against the bar correctly and things like that pull out all the slack so Mm -hmm. but i would aim your assistance work to that you know if you're a fairly high hip deadlifter you're going to need more hamstring length um if you're short-legged and you know more of a hips low that initial pull is is a drive off the floor with with your quads but your your hamstrings and back need to maintain their position so a lot of times what you'll see is people drive off the floor, but they shoot their hips. Uh, and then they end up way out in front because the hamstrings and lower back aren't holding the position that they need to against their quads. So there's there's a lot of things to look at okay. um, that I can't totally address with that. But, I mean, that kind of gives you an idea. And she can look for it. Like if you're shooting your hips off the floor, then, again, you know, it might be a cueing issue or it might be a weakness issue in your hamstrings. You know, they're not as strong as as your strong – you know, short femur quads. And as you're driving off the floor, you're ending up pushing yourself way out in front. And now you're in a bad anatomical position. You know, you've, you've created a huge lever arm between the hips and the, the shoulders. Right. Uh, yep. And pushed yourself onto, onto your toes. So, uh, when you're looking to drive it off the floor. So I think that's good. Both of those sound like good advice to me. Um, I know Karen, if you, um, if you want, just follow up again. I know that's sort of a, a piecemeal answer across two weeks from two different, uh, lifters, but uh, yeah, that sounds actually quite good to me. Shoot a video and put it up on the Facebook page. You'll get, you know, I'm sure I will end up seeing it at some point. You can tag me in it, and other lifters on there will see it. That's and sweet. We'll kind of yeah. give you advice. Well, I think that's one of the best so. things about you know the podcast and the and the <clears throat> Facebook page is she doesn't have any good coaches around her. So okay, yeah. we're here. You know, just yeah. do it distance wise. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, um, this is second thing. I just have a little bit of a rant. Uh, I was poking around for some uh, specific individual amino acids uh, on Amazon and different websites that I go to. Uh, I'm just playing with, uh, well, different things, sort of uh, mad scientist kind of things. But um, 
I just wanted to give everyone a little maybe warning. Boy, beware reviews on Amazon when it comes to different nutritional things. Some of what I read about specific amino acids, this sounds judgmental and elitist, but gosh, these guys don't understand what they're talking about. They're pointing to people as senior, re- oh, a study done by so-and-so, and I'm like, that guy is not a senior researcher. You're pointing people to, I'm not saying some of these guys are completely you know, illegitimate or their studies were wrong, but you're cherry picking, you're pointing to people who are the most visible on social media, not the people who have, you know, the senior person in the lab. Like, well, you, listeners, you'll hear us talk about guys like Stu Phillips, Mark Tarnopolsky, you know, um, Nick Bird, a lot of the people that are neck deep in stable isotopes and looking at protein synthesis and leucine or, or whatever it is. So, um, or they'll talk about what a leucine is or what branched chain amino acids are. And uh, some of the comments were just mistaken. I, I don't know what else to say. So when you read reviews about individual, whether it's herbal or single amino acids, I was just sort of wading through that earlier in the week thinking, oh, dear God, you know, because I was hoping for stuff like, oh, yeah, it, it mixed well in water. And you do get a little bit of that, you know, or you know, it has a weird odor. It smells good. The cost per milligram was this or that. That's kind of the stuff I'm looking for. And I know that's maybe unique, but gosh, don't go on there because a lot of the reviews, I guess I'm just saying, they're amateurs that are drifting into physiology advice. Don't read that stuff <laughs> because it was bad. Uh, okay. Next up. Uh, we got an email from Seb, uh, Sebastian. He's got multiple questions in here, so I thought we could address a few of these before we go to break. Uh, let's see. Hi. First, I want to thank you, uh, you guys for the time for your, the amazing show. I found your podcast a year and a half ago. I never missed a show since. I learned so much. Thanks for that. Uh, it's funny. Two to three episodes ago, you guys discussed Mind Pump Radio. I used to follow these guys, too. Uh, but all they do now, again, this is according to Seb, all they do now is pushing their products. You guys give real answers without trying to sell us anything. Now for my questions. I'm sure uh, your answer will benefit me and some of the listeners. The first one, uh, health versus being jacked and strong, the trade-off. Now, uh, a lot of listeners know, I feel and I agree on this very much, that uh, very high levels of performance and health are not always synonymous, right? You have to be cautious with this Uh, so it's an interesting question i will say this here's my disclaimer we don't give medical advice so this is not medical these are just our thoughts and opinions Uh, he says i have gastroesophageal reflux disease so he has GERD right he has acid Mm -hmm. reflux i treat it with a pill uh, i take daily i also have to pay attention to my diet uh, to avoid certain ailments anyway um, i can't eat anything three hours before bed and i can't eat close to a training session uh, you guys had a guest saying that pre-bed protein intake could maximize muscle protein synthesis. I've also read that on other websites. What's your opinion on this? Uh, if my daily intake of protein is adequate, basically, do I need protein uh, pre-post-workout and before bed? Phil, what's your? What, I, I know what your I know what your answer is, but go ahead. Well, my answer to this is like there's things the way I address things with the client is this. Um, there are problems and there are things that aren't a problem. And the way I define them is if there's no cure for it, it's not a problem anymore. It's just something we have to deal with. If you can't eat 
before bed, maybe that's not optimal, but it's not a problem. There's nothing we can do about it. So we just move on and we deal with what we can fix. <laughs> right. Yep. And it's just if you define this thing, then, then you don't have to worry about it. It's like, I just can't do that. I'm an individual. You are different than everybody else. Um, and it's just something we have to work around. So, yeah, I think as long as you're getting, I think, I'm not saying the pre-workout, the post-workout, the, all those little windows that they try to find aren't aren't valid in some way, but right. they are the 1%. Mm-hmm. You know, the big picture is get your protein and get your food in over the day. You know, if you're actually doing that, then that little 1% window thing is, is not going to be that much. Um, you know, that's for... Those type of things are when you're talking Olympic caliber athlete and stuff like that, that 1% may make a difference, but it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's not enough to stress about and the stress you're creating over it is worse than actually being able to do it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think just get your get your food in, you know, over the 24 hour window when you are able under the conditions that your body are in. Yeah, this will make you feel uh, good, Seb. But honestly, back in the day, I think it was Duncan McDougall, I'm almost certain, um, Canadian researcher. He actually showed how long protein synthesis is elevated. And I bet Stu Phillips and some of the current stable isotope guys are, uh, can really refine this. But it's 24 to 36 hours, you know, elevated protein synthesis. So don't feel like if you don't have to get that, if you can't have your blood levels of amino acids super high right before the gym or immediately after you're almost always in one of these windows, I guess is what I'm saying, right? Especially yeah. if you rotate lifts or, or muscle groups or what have you. Could it be an advantage? Yeah, it could. I mean, the last time I competed, I actually, um, I get up in the middle of the night to pee usually, so I would leave a little like ready-to-drink protein thing next to my bed, and I would slam it and go back to sleep. That could be helpful, and that's what one, um, one of our guests was talking about. But... Um, I agree. It that's icing on the cake. That's not the cake. If you get up and you yeah. have a big plate of eggs, you know, in the morning, and you know you're eating uh, lots of you know chicken or whatever you know you can tolerate throughout the day, you're trying to get about a gram of protein per pound over a 24-hour period. Um, you're probably in some type of critical window anyway. And make no mistake, don't think, especially if you eat solid proteins or something like casein right, from milk or cottage cheese that clots in your stomach, again, depending on what you can eat. But a lot of proteins, they sit in your stomach longer, gastric emptying is slower. Don't think that stuff is gone in an hour. It's not. You'll have elevations in, in blood amino acid concentrations for an extended period of time. So whenever you can eat dinner, you know, let's say you eat a couple pieces of chicken, you know, chicken breast or whatever, that's going to be with you for hours, so don't fret that it's gone immediately. I agree with Phil. It's, it's a few percent, um, and compared to overall average intake over a 24-hour period, uh, that's more of a nuance than it is uh, a huge problem. So that, hopefully that makes you feel better, actually. Uh, the next one I'm going to save for Dr. Nelson. It's on fasting because I know uh, Mike Nelson is really big into intermittent fasting. Um, and then the last one he asked was about coffee. He said, um, I was wondering if you have tried, let's see, there's a couple different products here, uh, mushroom coffee with lion's mate and chaga that enhance cognitive function and boost the immune system. I wanted to have your opinion on that, too. I haven't. I Honestly, um, I play with different formulations of coffee. I have for years, actually. 
I do think uh, adding different things in coffee is a neat idea. You can buy specialty coffee, pr- coffee products. Back in the day, there was Java Fit. Uh, it had like green tea extracts. You could actually see the, I don't know if it was caffeine or some white crystals that were in the grounds, you know. Um, well, putting stuff in your coffee um, is a neat idea, right? Actually, in the ground grounds, the ground beans, or um, in your cup afterwards, as long as it doesn't it doesn't screw up the taste, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a big, I'm, I'm I've sort of become a connoisseur with the coffee stuff, and I'm trying to always learn more because I'm telling you, coffee tasting, it's like wine tasting. You know, if you mm-hmm. talk to a real coffee taster and you say, "Oh, coffee is just coffee," he's going to punch you in the nose, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, just like um, all black tea is not j- the same, you know. There's some amazing ones. There's some other ones. It depends on the processing, it, where the leaves are grown or the beans are grown. Holy God! Yeah. So, uh, Phil, I don't know what what your take is on if you've heard of those things in the coffee. Yeah, I've heard of it. I've I've never tried it, but I mean, yeah, like you're saying, I think there's some amazing herbs and stuff out there that can help. Again, I think it's <laughs> we're we're going into the one percent thing. Again, sure, but I don't. I think it's worth a shot. If you can do it, it's worth a shot. And like you said, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a coffee connoisseur now. I'm, I'm spoiled, and I have like a personal coffee roaster now that right. exposes me to all kinds of crazy <laughs> you stuff. You bastard! Um, <laughs> yeah, so I like can't go back to cheap coffee. It's like I can't do it. After you've had good coffee, it's it's amazing. It's but, it's true. Um, you know what's high on my list? What is on my list is Have you heard of a Chemex? It's like a beaker. It's sort of hourglass shape. The top is open. It's a pour over. It's like a whole pot pour yeah. over. You can get different sizes. And I was um, listening to another podcast. There's an engineer at Starbucks, um, and he was saying how amazing these are. And if you look at a lot of the reviews about taste and whatnot, and again, I'll look at even Amazon reviews with a grain of salt if it's just like yeah. something about the texture, the taste. It's all subjective, of course. Um and people are just saying it's amazing, even better than a French press. I used to have a yeah. couple of grad students in my lab. They would all they would literally carry those mini, carry mini French presses with them because the mm-hmm. coffee you got that nice crema like on the top, you know, sort of the yeah. lipids in the coffee, and just it's not even the same thing as like no, um, yeah. yeah, like we have a huge French press, and that's what we use for everything. And then I've been messing around with cold brew stuff lately, and uh, and adding things in. But uh, yeah, no, I think it's it's fun, and it, the worst case scenario, you got something neat to drink. So, I mean, yeah, I really like coffee as part of the pre-workout ritual. Uh, we were yep. experimental biology and this guy came up. He was so entertained. I, this was um, uh, might have been the one before this most recent one. And he's, he just thought that was the most bizarre thing ever about consuming stimulants or especially coffee before exercise. He was roaring this old guy, salty old dog. And he just thought that was so bizarre. And I didn't have time. At the poster, and my student who was with me at the time, uh, Grant, uh, Grant's been on the show before. He's a biochemist, and he's, he's in medical school now. He knows what he's talking about, but you don't have time to tell these guys. No, actually, people do as part of a pre-workout ritual. They'll sit down with a strong cup of coffee, or they'll take a pre-workout of different kinds. I prefer coffee. The benefits, uh, you know, antioxidant benefits and other things. My mom was just talking about uh, coffee in, in extending lifespan. Uh, which is very funny because I had just read a paper and shared it on Iron Radio about how coffee seems to be related to longer telomeres, right? Better gen- genetic youth, if you will, mm-hmm. um, as as compared to raw caffeine that can shorten your telomeres, apparently. So, yeah, it's just a better delivery vehicle if you're going to get your, mm-hmm. your, your caffeine. Yeah, do it with coffee. But, yeah, yeah a- adding other stuff, if it's water-soluble and it doesn't screw up the taste... 
there you go. I know some people be like, yeah. oh, screw the taste, Lowry. I'll chug down anything. Well, that's fine. But, you know, good coffee is uh, one of the simple pleasures of life, I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got one more thing that we need to touch on that I don't know if you saw yet. Have you seen the Super League thing yet? No. Dorian Yates has teamed up with Nike and Bodybuilding.com, and he's a starting a whole new federation. Oh. Um, and he's the president of it. And then also on board is Stan Efferding and then Aaron Stern, two-time Miss Olympia. Okay. Um, so with Nike and, and, and Bodybuilding.com behind it, it's big. Basically, they're looking to make bodybuilding non-subjective. So there's no judging. There's no posing. Basically, you come in, and round one is what they're calling your output quotient. You do eight exercises at a set load for the amount of reps you can do. Um, and then the total output divided by your body weight is your output quotient. Okay. And then round two is the deltas. And basically, it's your upper body to waist ratio, your lower body to waist ratio, your upper body to lower body ratio. And then the total of the three deltas is your 3D score. And then you're, you add those two together, and that's your super score. And that's who wins. Wow. So being ripped... <laughs> so, being ripped really isn't part of it aside from having a small waist yeah so i mean it, it, there won't be what i think you'll see is it's not gonna you're not gonna see the three percent five percent you know you're gonna actually hurt yourself by taking those last few percent off right because your first score will go to hell yeah performance um, will go go away yeah so uh, the first one of these happens this coming up in las vegas huh uh so it's going to be interesting to see. Basically, they said, you know, they're taking, there are no posers and there are no judges. The opinions, biases, and personal interpretations of other humans are not allowed. Only real athletes and real metrics. These are the rules. So, yeah, it's going to be, it's a league of superhuman, superhumans, men and women with superhuman form and superhuman function. Interesting. So. I almost wish there was more proportional measurements there. You know, yeah. like there was a talk of like the Greek ideal of the, the, you know, your calves, your biceps and your neck should be the same, you know, like mm -hmm. 18, 18 and 18 inches sort of thing. Um, I don't know. It, it, I, I like the idea, I guess, that it, mm -hmm. it's almost like old school muscle beach, right? Where yeah. nobody was saying, oh, my God, you're 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 five percent. You know, you're two weeks out. You're not emaciated enough. And then they yeah. had performance stuff. They would do gymnastics type things or mm -hmm. whatever. I kind of like the combo, so it, you yeah. don't end up being all show and no go. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't heard that. Wow. I'll have to look into that. See how it's received, yeah. So They've tried to start bodybuilding federations before. Uh, and now, this doesn't sound like it's just pro, right? Mm -hmm. Would this be amateur and pro? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So They have a, a who's who list of people. Well, like I said, I mean, just the people behind it with Dorian Yates and Stan Efferding. Um, and then Aaron Stern, but then they have all these celebrity guests uh, that are going to show up. So it'll right. be interesting to see ten thousand dollars for each weight class winner. Oh, see, yeah. So get money involved, and then yeah, you'll yeah. see some freaks come out. Yeah. So I'm curious to see <laughs> what the physiques actually look like. Yeah. You know, uh, that's all I can say. Aesthetically, I'd be curious to see what they would look like. I would think they'd have to take the measurements with. The, the guys and the gals would just have trunks on. I don't know how else yeah. you would do that. And But this doesn't lend itself to an audience. I mean, the performance part would, but who wants to see somebody get a tape measure across Getting his measured. shoulders and his <laughs> waist? 
Like, woo, go. yay. So We'll see. Wow. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. So, And I'm sure, I don't know how it's going to do, but I'm sure they're going to wrap it around a, uh, uh, th- there'll be some kind of expo, I'm sure. There just has to be nowadays. Sure. But what we're looking at, 729.17, so it's it's this month. Wow. So Yeah, it's now. <laughs> yeah, it's right now on the 29th. So watch it live at bodybuilding.com. Um, this might be something bodybuilding.com is is doing to boost their own you know some some new reinvention. I'm not saying sure. they're you know I don't know if they're lagging or not. I'm not saying that. Honestly, th- I'm going to get a lot of heat for this, but when I see people walk around and they've got the bodybuilding.com gym bag, a t-shirt, hat, yeah. I'm like, you know, you're you're not an experienced lifter, are you? <laughs> well, then that's it's funny you say that because well, I, you know, I have a background years ago within like training forums, and it was always like the bodybuilding.com was the first step that, yeah. <laughs> that people went right. through. Right. Yep. You know, it was the biggest, but it was also the lowest common denominator. Um, and then they went elsewhere from there. But yeah. Yeah. Talk about, yeah, some go- there's sometimes there's some goofy advice on those forums. And mm. as long as you read forums with a grain of salt, I mean, God, Phil, you and I both know that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I suppose it can be good for motivation and you just have to be careful. I mean, people do start somewhere. Um, I don't know. And I've even spoken to a few people who they've hired um, from a more of a science perspective, editorial perspective, that I really questioned some of what they were saying. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm, okay. But in any case, oh, yeah, you're right. As far as the backing goes, that sounds like big money. You said also Nike? Nike, yeah. Oh, boy. One. Well, we're going to talk about Nike after the break. They definitely write some big salaries for athletes. So, okay, we'll be back in just a minute. Hey, listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what Uh, there is a book available you could simply google crc press and lowry and what i've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book a single compendium that you can hold up and say this is why i consume extra protein this can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, 
But if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, folks, we're back. It's Phil and Lonnie. And this week we're going to talk about performance-enhancing drugs in the topic of the day. Um, This stemmed from an article that a former student of mine, Daria, Uh, sent me she's exercise physiology and now she's in law school and she she's interested in some of the legal aspects of this i read the article and i find myself becoming enraged in parts maybe just jaded and rolling my eyes in others but uh, this is about a a scandal i guess it's a scandal the new york times making it seem like one certainly um, about performance enhancing drugs among runners Now, before you say, I don't care about runners, you guys, okay, that's fine. But a lot of these issues, I think, are also fingers that get pointed in the muscle sports like we've already been discussing. So uh, the title is, This Doesn't Sound Legal Inside Nike's Oregon Project. Have you heard about this, Phil? This is the one where they're going to pay somebody to run a marathon in under, is that the one? Well, it's Nike uh, was writing some big salaries, big checks to people, and they got involved in this sort of performance enhancement project under mm. Alberto Salazar, who himself okay. is a famous runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, it's the subtitle, this is by Matt Hart, uh, a report by anti-doping officials says the coach Alberto Salazar violated drug protocols with uh, Dathan Ritzenheim. I'm saying that correctly, Mo Farah and other elite runners. So they talk about this uh, Dathan or Dathan Rittenheim, uh, Olympic distance runner. Um, apparently he was feeling sick. He was given thyroid medications, and it, this is how the article starts, that were recommended to him to boost performance uh, and that kind of thing. Um, Alberto Salazar was his running coach, teamed up with Nike, focused on um, – at least as far as some of these supplement and drug protocols, revving Ritzenheim's endocrine system. Um, Performance enhancement was not uncommon. In the Oregon project, the vaunted team financed by Nike and led by Salazar, uh, etc. Of course, there's different incidents involved with different people here. But this is where I started sort of rolling my eyes a little. Um, Of course, USADA, right, the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, are pointing lots of fingers, and they're using uh, a, a bit of drama. It feels a little witch hunt-like to me. That's my opinion. Um, whereas, you know, you get denials out of the people who are on the coaching and athlete side. But it says, um, apparently, the anti-doping authorities, again, they're talking about USADA, uh, in the report, anti-doping officials depicted Salazar as a medicine chest for world-class athletes on Nike's payroll. Now, this is where I start rolling my eyes. He, he helped them gain access to things such as prescription-dose vitamin D, 
ferrous sulfate. Okay, that's an iron pill, everybody, okay. right? Um, but then it does say testosterone and various thyroid medications. Okay, well, that's not a supplement. So mm-hmm. um, it says many of the drugs have no proven benefits for runners. Well, proven, not proven. Science doesn't really prove anything. It just supports something. Uh, they also mentioned later in the article L-carnitine. And I'm like, oh, Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, that's been around forever. It doesn't, it doesn't get into skeletal muscle as far as I understand. Um, they're saying that, though, they were infusing it, and it does ridiculous things for runners. L-carnitine, everybody, if you're not familiar, it's one of the steps, we'll just say, in fat burning, in fat oxidation. It helps you get fatty acids into your little mitochondrial furnaces and your working muscles so you can burn the fat for a fuel source, right? Uh, It says, anti-doping officials now believe that Salazar and a Texas endocrinologist administered an infusion procedure that was against the rules. Um, This endocrinologist, he's calling USADA's efforts a fishing expedition, and he's getting really aggressive against them. Uh, Apparently, they tried unsuccessfully last year to get some deposition from him. And he's not having it. Uh, it's, it's just interesting how he's pushing back. Uh, this guy does not seem intimidated. Now, part of the, the thing here was that when people went out to run on this team, right? And let's face it, getting a sponsorship is sort of a childhood dream for these people. I mean, imagine it's like bodybuilders wanting to turn pro, you know, or uh, I guess in powerlifting, it's not quite the same um, whereas, at least historically, there hasn't been huge winnings to be had. Uh, not, not the bodybuilding was huge winnings either. But anybody, anyway, you get the idea. This is like childhood dream for a lot of people. And this is where coercion comes in. They said basically um, the athletes, let's see, were acutely aware that these opportunities, again, to be put on these supplement and drug regimes could be withdrawn at Salazar's discretion. Uh and were dependent on both his favor and on their own performance. So to me, this brings up the issue of co- coercion, right? Like if, you, if, you're, if you're somebody I like, I'm going to make sure you get the drugs or supplements that you need, that you think you need to be a pro and to be, you know, fulfill your dreams. It's sort of that coercion, right? If you're part of the right group, if you're in favor with the right person, then you get the opportunities. So my question for you, Phil, is... Do you think that happens in strength sports? You get these little clicks of people. It made me think about, you know, you get a diet guru or someone who's a contest promoter. Uh, I know that's bodybuilding, but do you think there's coercion that goes on like that? Like if you're not one of the cool kids, you're pinched out of your dreams, sort of, sort of. Yeah, speak? maybe a little bit. But there's, there's no money in strength sports. Yep. And there's money in this running. You know, running's huge. As far as like athletic endeavors, it's probably the the biggest thing out there that the general population still gets pushed towards. Yep. So there's money in the shoes that are being bought through Nike and things like that. Um, yeah, the salaries at one point it said uh, this one guy his performance had ebbed, so his salary dropped from two hundred thousand from Nike to one hundred thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Uh, yeah. Painful. You don't see that kind of money being thrown around in strength sports. No, you don't. Um, because it's still such I, like powerlifting is probably bigger and Olympic weightlifting here in the states at least is bigger than it's ever been, but it's still niche in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think yeah, I mean I but... think you there are people that get an advantage, but it's because they're at this gym with and able to train with these people and this and that. But I don't think you get that much of a 
it's not that huge. It's not like somebody can't come beat them. <laughs> no, it's true. I would think, though, if, if you're in a gym somewhere that's very selective, like West Side, you know, and you're not in favor with – if you're in favor with the right people, you might get some of what, what you you feel you need. You know what I mean? Well, and, yeah, and I mean I think there's even – and I've seen it, you know, even favorable judging as far as that goes depending on where you're at. Oh, he's a West Side guy, you know, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. the judge is kind of bat an eye and whatever you do is good. Right, know, rubber stamp. I've yep. seen that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, with, with bodybuilding, uh, it's the same thing what you just said with judging. You know, if, you, if you've got one of these guys, and some of these regional contest promoters are kind of like this. You know, they have this sort of entourage of competitors, both fitness, fitness competitors, you know, women and guys, and they kind of they pay the guy big bucks to put them on diets, quote unquote diets. I don't think that's the only thing he's putting them on necessarily, yeah. but even if he's not, he's the show promoter, right? Mm -hmm. So the judges, you know, and that's always the, the thing you, you hear, oh, he, he hasn't paid his dues or she hasn't paid her dues yet. She's amazing, but she needs to prove herself across a few competitions. Mm -hmm. That'd be fine if it was all performance, but I do think yes. there might be some level of coercion there. Like, you know, if you're, Again, if, if you're not on, if you're not paying me essentially mm -hmm. to put you on a quote unquote diet, then you're not going to do well on my show, kind of thing. Yes. And well, I, and that's that's a problem of a very subjective sport. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? That's what I was going to say, and that's why I like what you were saying about what Dorian is doing. Yeah. It would at least remove some of that. Yes. Like nobody's going to say, "Oh, it's my opinion that your waist is twenty-eight inches." It either yeah. is or it isn't. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, so. okay. Um, the the next part had me rolling my eyes a little too. Uh, after this whole pressure to conform argument, they were saying, and I get it, right? There's a lot of money. Like if you mm -hmm. lose your contract, you don't get to run. You don't get to paid to be a runner anymore. You know. So, yeah. and it, especially if they believe that they need these things. This next one. Uh, it's, it's in, the portion is called uh, a start with supplements. So it says it's every kid's dream to have a, a professional contract. Um, so Ritzenhein said as soon as he joined the team, he quote unquote started taking a lot of supplements that Alberto had in a room in his basement. So, uh, and again, with this sort of supplements are drugs thing, making them sound dirty. Oh, in his basement. Why do they have to add where, they, where they're stored? You know, yeah. oh, they're stored in his basement. Like, it makes it sound very sketchy. Um, mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. Um, when the mass media, in this case the New York Times, when they say something about it started with supplements, what, what are your thoughts uh, for the listeners about uh, the gateway argument, that supplements are a gateway to stronger and stronger prescription drugs? No, I don't. I mean, I guess you could have a slight <laughs> argument there, yeah. but but man, you're reaching at that point. I know plenty of people who've taken freaking pre-workout drinks and creatine, and they never went any further. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Yep. I mean, I don't think it's there. It's apples and oranges. Those are way two different things. That's like telling me that because I took some Advil, I'm going to get hooked on prescription opioids. Right. You know, it's just it's it's two different classes of stuff. You know, and let's face uh, it, I mean, the legal boundaries sort of do enforce that, you know, like even yeah. when pro hormones were popular 
in the yeah. U.S. at least, people would say, oh, that's a gateway drug. It's essentially a precursor to testosterone. It becomes testosterone or nandrolone in your system, and therefore people are going to want to move up to injectable stuff and, mm-hmm. or oral, you know, real anabolic steroids. And I knew lots of people who, no, this was actually an alternative Right, and I don't yeah, the think the legality, they, like you're saying, the legality alone keeps a lot of people from ever making that step. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, apparently things went on and said um, after an unproductive season of injury, Rittenhine and Salazar's conversations moved from supplements to synthetic synthroid, quote unquote. Uh, Rittenhine testified it was to help with his low testosterone levels. What? Why mm-hmm. is take? I'm not. Sh- I don't. I'm not sure. I see a direct connection. That it, I mean, I can yeah. see uh, the stimulant effects of thyroid. You know, the weight mm-hmm. loss effects of thyroid. I mean, uh, listeners, most of you realize thyroid. You have two major kinds of your body: T4. It gets converted into the more potent T3. Um, but the point is, it, that sort of drives your basal metabolic rate, right? Between the amount of muscle mass you have and and your your thyroid concentrations. So I could see how it would help with alertness or something like that, but I don't understand how this is going to get some runner with low T into some surging testosterone Mm -hmm. uh, levels. But anyway, he got prescribed Levoxel, which is a thyroid drug. It's not on the banned substance list, apparently. Um, And then, again, I'm just wading through this article, but... um, and then they moved on to L-carnitine, rising it to extremely high, quote-unquote, unnatural levels. Well, you got to be careful with this natural argument, mm-hmm. you know, like what, what's unnatural, you know, and that sort of thing. Uh, and again, the supplements that I've seen, uh, the problem is not that you can't absorb them into your bloodstream, but you can't get them into muscle tissue so they can help with the fat transport into the mitochondrial furnaces, etc. But anyway, they put them on these drips. Four-hour drips, I guess, of uh, of L-carnitine because there was a University of Nottingham study that suggested that it did amazing things if you infused it. Now, again, to me, I, that leaves me a little – I'm not an L-carnitine expert, but you could swallow that and get your blood concentrations up. I'm sure you're not going get to get them as high as an infusion. Uh, I don't know. Maybe if you infuse your blood levels to such a ridiculous extent, it does get into the skeletal muscle. I don't know. Um, but it says, even though L-carnitine is not a banned substance, the method of infusion uh, by this endocrinologist in Texas um, was, anti-doping officials believe. Anti-doping rules prohibit, quote, infusions or injections of more than 50 milliliters per six-hour period. Well, I find that almost weird. You know, oh, well, we'll let you do that as long as they consider it medical, you know. Mm-hmm. Or in a hospital, they'll let you do 50 milliliters over a six-hour period of infusion. I don't see how, how almost anybody could call that natural. But, yeah. you know, again, it, it, ultimately, it sounds like there's always this, it boils down to there's some subjective judgment that this was yes. medical or this was hospital, you know, mm-hmm. um, a part of a clinical study, for example. There, there seems to be these things that could be considered loopholes um, now, interestingly, uh, one of the persons in this, in this uh, New York Times write-up said the results of, of his post-carnitine treadmill test were, quote, almost unbelievable. Now, again, that's more from a, a cardio and endurance perspective. Um, 
I'll have to look into this Nottingham paper myself a little more closely. But it does talk later in the article about how Nike had been, become, uh, they'd start making, making fewer payments to Ritzenhine based on disimpo- disappointing performance. He only got half of his $200,000 salary, you know, stuff like that. So I, I can see where they're trying to bring this whole coercion thing. It, it lists other people who also received the infusions of L-carnitine, Mo Farah, Galen Krupp, uh, Rupp, uh, Tara Welling, um, a variety of people here. But again, it's sort of blurring that supplement drug line to me. You know, mm-hmm. uh, It talks about having muscle levels 11,000% increased. Well, first of all, I don't like percentages. They're just drama uh, sometimes. Um, also... How do they know the muscle levels of L-carnitine were up? Did they, they must have taken a biopsy then. I didn't see any talk of a biopsy in here. Anyway, it just sounds like because of the language that gets used either by the journalist or USADA, it, it sounds a little witch-hunty to me. Um, they're, you know, and again, all the athletes are just like, no, we always check first. We don't do those things without approval. And they are poking around for loopholes i think in mm-hmm. what they can do but oh yeah uh, yeah right <laughs> of course so you know it, it's like what we said about legality uh, if, if you can stay within the rules you will try stuff yeah you will try anything you can and I, i'm just wondering if this like nike just had their beat the two thing or breaking two and i'm wondering if this wraps around that you know basically they brought in all these athletes and their goal was to break the two-hour mark in a marathon mm-hmm and they slowly whittled that down to, here's our three runners. Um, and this was in May, and they barely missed the mark. You know, the, the guy ran the marathon in two hours and 25 seconds. Oh. Um, mm. So, you know, they were trying to, <laughs> basically, they were trying to reach a, an unhuman mark. You know, basically something that's never been done before. So, of course, they're going to try everything they can. And it wasn't in a sanctioned run, even, you know. Yeah, it was on a track, and but yeah, I don't know. So it does bring I up think, the gray area of supra physiologic, you know, super physiologic. That is doses, prescription doses. Like, could you take so much vitamin D or iron pills that it does something? Yeah. Well, I don't think by mouth, really. I mean, yeah. I it's something I should probably look into as a nutritionist. It, I, I'm I'm usually focused on what I can swallow. I guess mm-hmm. you know. Um, like I had a conversation with my with an endocrinologist once, a friend of mine, and he um, he's like, Lonnie, it's so funny. You talk about these little three thousand IU doses of of vitamin D. I just give people a fifty thousand IU shot. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, but I don't give people shots. <laughs> yeah. But so it it is curious though. Could you infuse so much L-carnitine that this otherwise not very effective supplement works and works amazingly? Yeah. Like some of the reports in here. Could you get so much vitamin D in your system? Like it's, I think it's naive to think I could just take so much iron, I'll have more red blood cells, and it'll be like blood doping, and my VO2 max will be through the roof. Yeah. I, I don't think it works that way. But when you start infusing stuff, I don't know. Who, maybe it's something I should look into. Who knows? I, I don't know. And that does blur the line, I guess, between what's, what's a pharmaceutical and what's a nutrient, you know, what's mm-hmm. a supplement. But, well, no, even the whole natural thing is – kind of blurry oh yeah it is and because i mean like anything of this world in a sense is kind of natural 
That's what philosophers, (laughs) that's what, if you read the philosophy of sport journals, that's what a lot of those guys argue. Any interaction that mankind has with with the environment is arguably natural. It, it is. I mean, anything that man creates, I mean, it's in, in a way it is natural until you they ship something in from Mars that has never been on this earth. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, you can make an argument, man. And it's not like these athletes aren't going to do it. And like we talked about earlier, it's a, no one wants to see the same thing over and over. And any athlete is like any anybody in any field. You know, in electronics or computer technology, you know, we don't all want to be working on the first computer ever made. You know, we want to see faster and bigger and stronger. And, you know, these athletes, of course, are going to do what it takes to push to the next level. They want to discover something. I think that's one of the reasons they self-experiment. Like, oh, my God, like with this, if this infused (laughs) L-carnitine kind of thing works from the, uh, and again, Uh, listeners, you know, right, this isn't just from the bottle off of GNC. This is a Mm -hmm. sterile prescription level. Who knows how they even obtain this stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, to me, it's almost the same thing as in the lab. Like, I have always avoided what what are called validation studies. Like, somebody will say they discovered something, and then there's there's the guys out there in science are like, well, let me see. I didn't didn't find that myself. Let me double-check your findings. Let me try to replicate your study. To me, that's boring. I'd rather go try to make the initial discovery. And if something isn't there, um, I'll, I'll switch gears. But you, you know what I mean? I, I do think there is that being the first to stumble across something, you know, uh, discover something, and then, God, yeah, the self-application of it, too, has got to be attractive, mm-hmm. you know. So. Yeah. All right. Well, we're just about out of time, everybody. I know, Phil, you've got a – you're going off to a big meet today? Another big meet today, yep. So – I don't have a ton of lifters in, but we have a few, and, you know, hopefully uh, the plan is one of my uh, ladies is going to be my first to break the four-plate barrier and squat. Boom. So, yeah, we're going to open at 345. Hot damn. You know, she hit. Let's get her on the show. Yeah, she hit 375 uh, two weeks ago in the gym, and it was easy. So that was a kind of our last heavy. So, and then we'll go from there. We'll see how things go. But it's looking, it's looking good. And this is a, a test meet for her. Um, I'm bringing a large group up to the big Reebok Record Breakers meet uh, this November, including myself. That'll be my next meet. Sweet. So we decided to go to. We're bringing the Midwest to the West Coast, is what we decided <laughs> to do. And there's there like 13 go. of us. Uh, Thirteen of us that decided we're going to go out there and just show them what's up. So, are you yourself going to be bigger? Are you going to be able to I'll be two seventy five. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be two seventy five, and I'm looking to squat at least seven hundred with a fake hip. So I'm not sure that's been done. Uh, wow. And then other than that, our 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 weakest guy is a junior that has a nineteen hundred pound total. So, uh, yeah, we're going to come out there and put on <laughs> put on a show. So, yeah, uh, I can imagine the comments now. What you know, corn-fed Midwest boys, yeah. Kansas boys. Where did these you know? guys come from? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, one of my guys is looking to squat 900 at 242. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's looking good. But uh, we've got I think five ladies and seven guys coming out. So, you know, yeah, it this, begs the question. Is last test for that, but I I think we should have a, a topic in the future about. Um, we need records for what you just said. Technology is merging with human beings to such an extent. You know, we're talking about what's natural and what's not. Mm-hmm. What's natural about having titanium in your femur? You know, yeah. kind of stuff like that. And yet nobody yeah. really questions it. And let's face it, yeah. it's medical. You have to have that stuff done. 
But I do think it would be neat, right? Like, what if you're the first man on the planet to squat 700 with an artificial hip? I think there should be a record for that. Maybe that's, yeah, I mean, maybe that's old guy thinking. I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know anybody else who's done it. So, and honestly, for me now, it's not like that's the only thing that messes with my head. Is like, God, nobody's done this. I hope this thing holds up. <laughs> so right when, when I'm in the bottom of a squat with 600, I'm not worried about the weight. I'm worried about my hip staying in its socket. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Because if things go wrong, it's not going to be a little bit wrong. So. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, that's true. Get get trusted spotters or, or warn the spotters yeah. in advance. You know. Yeah, it'll be. It's 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 a fun time. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely one of those people that is uh, like you talk about often. I think. The, the perfect place to be is somewhere between natural and new. So mm-hmm. there's this, not everything natural is great. Not everything new is horrible. So, I mean, literally I would not be doing what I am doing now without our amazing, you know, medical world. Right. Technology. So, yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, brother. All right. We'll catch up with everyone next week. Yep. Catch you later. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, 
athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.